So it's no secret the early days of planting are like the, the strange days and the wonderful days of planting. I'm really excited for Darren to get back and you don't have to see me do everything. <laughs> Darren said the same thing to me last week. <laughs> the thing that we don't want this to be about is about him or about me or any of those things. This is about Jesus. And so Darren and Darla, they, they made it back or they made it to Phoenix. So they picked a really good time to abandon us and to be in Phoenix. <laughs> so we just need to all give him a little bit of a hard time about that. As he's sitting by a pool, no doubt, right now in 85-degree weather. <laughs> but um, so next week, Darren will be back. And, uh, our, you know, it'll be the first time, really, that we're able to just kind of be together as a church family in this new capacity. So we're really, really excited about that. But these early days may be... Uh, Sometimes a little bit like wonky, things aren't necessarily as, as what we're used to, but as I think back over the, the, the churches that I've been able to be a part of starting, these are also some of the sweetest days. Because, you know, uh, the, the scriptures say, you know, do not despise the days of small beginnings, because God does great things here. He's establishing things here that, that will take root, Lord willing, for generations to come and the things that we are seeking to do don't worry I'm not going to spill on your computer um, uh, if I do though no I'm just kidding um, but, uh, but the things that we seek to do is are, are not trying to, to do anything more than to be faithful with what God has called his people to be and do in the world with the ministry and the message that he's entrusted the church with to extend and to live out in the midst of the world. And we know that we stand in the midst of a long lineage of Christ followers in every tribe, every tongue, and every nation as God is building his church. And we know that there will be people after us until the time when Christ comes. And so my prayer is, is that we are always able to keep a couple perspectives that, number one, that, that we do exist for something bigger than ourselves. And that's true historically, and that's true with what we're setting up for the future. Does that make sense? And so that's why last week, Darren, and his primary thing that, that, he, that, that wanted, we wanted to communicate was that, that we hope that there is a deep sense of excitement for who we are, even more than what we do. Right? This is not just about establishing cool services that's maybe, you know, or, or doing cool programs or cool this or cool. Although we hope we can do some fun things and do some things that, that don't stink. Right? But at the end of the day, it's, it's not about that. But what we do does flow out of who we are. And who we are is we want to grow in deep seated convictions that will carry us far more than excitement will. One of my prayers for, for my family and I, one of my prayers for us as a, as a people is that I, I hope we're excited about what God's doing, but I pray that we're more than excited. I pray that we're convicted, that we are driven by conviction. Excitement comes and goes. Excitement is high one minute and it drops the next, but conviction is something that sustains even when it's hard even when we're facing challenges and difficulty. And conviction even is a backbone in the midst of excitement, too. We don't just want to be excited. We want to be convinced of some things. And so this morning, what we want to do 
is we want to begin to take a, a little bit of a deeper step and going, okay, if the premise is we hope that you're engaged for who we are, not just what we do, we want to begin to unpack, so who are we? Right? Who are we? And now what we're going to do today is we're going to set some large, like, 10,000-foot pieces that we're going to unpack over the next several weeks, months, and honestly, we'll come back to these things over the years that, Lord willing, we are together. But to do that, I want us to look at the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to look at verses 11 to 21 here this morning. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with us, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verses 11 to 21. So Paul is writing to a church that he helped start. This is, most scholars believe, the fourth letter that he has written to them, the final letter that, that we know of that he's written to them. The first letter was a, was a, was a letter of correction. The, the church at Corinth, though being a church, was a hot mess. And so it needed to be addressed, what was going on. I mean, people were like getting intoxicated at communion, right? It was a, it was a hot mess. <laughs> like, we don't want to do that. Like, we, okay, I don't want you to buy in necessarily to what we do, but I can tell you this, we're not going to get intoxicated at communion. <laughs> can we, okay, sorry, Tracy. Like, let's just put that on the table. We're probably not going to do that. <laughs> there were other things going on there that I'm not going to address right now either because I don't want awkward family conversations around the dinner table, but nonetheless, it was a mess. So now that we get to 2 Corinthians, this is kind of, the, the church seems to have responded to the correction that Paul gave to them. And so now he's, he's writing a letter to kind of affirm them and to continue to teach them. And so one of the things that, that he is doing is there are people in the church at Corinth that are kind of looking at, at Paul and, the, and that have said, well, what gives you the right to to be our leader, and, and what gives you, and so part of what his argument is that we're going to be in the middle of is, is him saying, I'm, a, I'm an apostle that has been sent by the Lord, like I'm not coming on my own authority, I'm not coming with my own message, I'm not coming because I concocted this idea, I'm coming because God shared some things with me, he showed himself to me, he has taught me, and I'm, and I'm telling you what God has told me to tell you. And on these things, build your life. Does that make sense? So here we go in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 11. Paul says this. This is the word of God. He says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who might live or so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. 
From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. And we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. Powerful passage that he has given to us. So one of the first things when we ask the question, who are we as Missio Church? The first thing that we want to, to, to highlight is we are convinced of the gospel we are absolutely convinced of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For example, we look at verses 15 and 16 of the passage that we read. In 15 and 16, we, we, we see, um, uh, you know, and he died for, uh, so, sorry, so, so he says, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this. I'm sorry, 14 and 15. We have concluded this. That one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves. Paul is like, I am convinced that Jesus died. I am convinced of, of what that work meant and why God sent his only son. And then he goes on, look at verse 21, how he concludes the whole passage. He says, for, for, uh, for, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. These are gospel-convinced statements. I am convinced that Christ died. I am convinced that Christ came and that God, when he put him up on the cross, made him to be sin. Not that he did sin, but that he, he took on the sin of the world in his flesh, and suffered all the payment that we deserved to pay. The, right, the Christ died, the righteous meaning him, for the unrighteous meaning us, First Peter says. And that he did that so that we might be restored back to God. He uses the word reconciled in here several times. Reconciliation, the simple definition is made peace. There is hostility between man and God because we have chosen to reject him. We've wanted things our own way. And we've even thought that I get to choose how I come back to you. God, I get to tell you how I think you should be. But the gospel tells a much better message. We even sang about it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. That is the bedrock of Missio Church. We are convinced of the gospel. There is no other message 
of hope that can be found in the world apart from the gospel. Eternal, securing hope than the gospel message. There is no hope for any man, any woman, and any child outside of the resurrection of Jesus. But when we, by his mercy and grace, come to him by faith, there is an eternal hope that we are told with an eternal weight of glory that Paul writes just a couple, a chapter before what we just read that will never disappoint us. And we can have peace with God and peace with one another. We are convinced the gospel is the power of God for salvation for all who believe, as Paul writes in Romans chapter 1. This is not about how we earn our way back to God. This is about what God has done to earn our redemption. For it is by grace we are saved, not by works. But the works we do flows out of the grace he's given us. So we are convinced of the all-encompassing, life-changing message of the gospel. Number two, we are convinced of God's mission in the world. God is on a mission redeeming a people back to himself. He is, in the, he is on a mission restoring all of creation where one day it will be purged of all the brokenness of this world. And, and as he is marching history towards that, in that new heavens and new earth that he will one day create that is free of pain and sickness and hardship where we're told death will be no more. God is redeeming a people for himself to dwell in that place with him where he will be their God and we will be his people. God's kingdom, or God's people dwelling in God's kingdom under God's loving rule, protection, and reign. This is where God is ultimately directing all history to. And so we are convinced of that message. Look at, for example, what Paul writes in verses 11 to 13. He says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart for for beside ourselves it's for God. If we're in our right mind, it is for you. What Paul is essentially saying is, I want my life to be absolutely evident and plain. I don't want it to be a mystery to you. I want you to know what my life's about and what my life's mission is about. And my life's mission is knowing the fear of the Lord, that the Lord is the all-consuming fire, the ultimate judge, king, and redeemer. I want to persuade you to say yes to Jesus. And I want that life to be evident to you. And we and 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 I, if I look crazy to you, it's because I'm really convinced that the grave is empty. I'm really convinced that redemption and new life is found in Christ. And so, yes, I work to persuade. Right? We look elsewhere that that Paul says that God has entrusted to him, and I also believe to the church, 
as he's brought us back to himself, he's entrusted us with something. We're going to get to that in a minute because I'm, I'm, I'm bleeding into my third point here in a second. But God is extending his message of mercy and grace to the world as he is redeeming that people back to himself. Where one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You read through the book of Revelation and you, Revelation chapter 4, Revelation chapter 5, there's this growing crescendo of worship that is happening. It's this beautiful passage that, in, that gets more large in scope, more profound in its worship, the scope. And then by the end of it, we see that, every, that, that, that people from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation, people under the, or, you know, under the earth, and, and everything and all creation is shouting praises to the glory of God. God is on a mission, and that mission is what we want to exist for. This is why we're called Missio Church. We believe in what's called the Missio Day, the mission of God in the world. This is what history is all about. History is mercy marching forward to that point when every person that, is, that, that, that has been redeemed by Jesus is around his throne and all sin is judged and the heavens and earth are made new. The door of mercy is open. The door of mercy is open. And right now, I know it can be sometimes discouraging to think when we look at maybe our own world around us or we look at, 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 at the United States of America, but did you know that we live in the time when there are more people coming to Christ now than most likely at any point in history? Just by the sheer volume of population, that's true. You look at what God's doing in India, in Africa, in Latin America, in Asia. God is redeeming scores of people back to himself. And we get to be a part of that mission right here. So we are convinced of the gospel we are convinced of God's mission in the world, and we are also convinced that God has sent all of his people into that mission. We're going to unpack all of this as we go forward. So these are, these are foundation stone-laying statements. But rooted all the way back in Genesis chapter 1, before sin entered the world, we see this idea that whatever be, being established in like seed form, that whatever God's going to do in the world, he's primarily going to do it through all of his people. He puts Adam and Eve in the garden. He, makes them a, he, he establishes a relationship with them. And then he looks at them and he's like, there's things I want done in the world. Here's what I want you to do. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. Exercise dominion and subdue it. Do my work in the world. And as he advances his mission in the world, he does it through people that he brings to himself. Look at, look at Abraham. He comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, through you, I'm going to do something in the world. He brings Israel to himself. Israel, I'm going to do something in you for the sake of the world. And then we read, for example, in Matthew 28, that we all know very well, Jesus 
with his disciples gathered around him. He's about ready to ascend into heaven. And what's he say? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Actually, the the real translation is as you're going, meaning there's an assumption we're going to go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Jesus says in John 20, 21, that as the Father sent me, so now I send you. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And now look at verses 12 and 14 and 20 of our own text. So verse 12 We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us. That you, may, you may be able to answer those that boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For, for beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. Do you see Paul's posture and mission? I'm giving my life to you. I want you to be evident. I want it to be evident because I'm convinced of something that I'm here sent to persuade you about. Because the love of Christ controls me. It's what he says in verse 14. The love of Christ is compelling me and controlling me. Imagine like a a rope being tied around your, your inner, and it just pulls you. I have to do this. I have to tell you. I have to persuade you. I have to give my life to you. And then he goes on, and look at what he says further in the passage. Where he says, if anyone is in Christ, verse 17, the... He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And then then he says later, he's entrusted to us the ministry of reconciliation. God gave those to the church. Here's the message of reconciliation, the gospel. Carry that into the world. Here's the ministry of reconciliation. Take that into the world because I'm working through my people to do my work, to bear that message, and to do my works in the world. Because, look at verse 20. We are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us to be reconciled back to him. Just as Adam and Eve were called to steward and subdue the world in righteousness, as his people who have been restored back to him, God has has empowered us by his spirit. He's He's brought us to himself, empowered us by his spirit, gave us the message and the ministry of reconciliation, and says, now go steward this message of righteousness in the world. Whatever God's going to do in the world, he's primarily going to do it through all of his people who are his ambassadors. That's true for us collectively, and that's true for us individually. Everywhere we go in Christ, we are his ambassadors who are to be convinced of his mission and convinced of his gospel. That's true when you're playing on the basketball floor. That's true when you're sitting in the courthouse. 
That's true when you are, are sitting around the dinner table with your kids, when you're driving down the road, when we're gathered in worship. The gospel's not just meant to be some get-out-of-jail-free card we put in the back of our pocket. It is new life that makes us new creations that see the world differently, that live in the world differently, and carry ultimately a better message of life and hope than anything this world will ever be able to offer us. I love what Christopher Wright says, theologian Christopher Wright in his book, uh, God's mission, where he says this. He said, it is not so much the case that God has a mission for his church in the world as that God has a church for his mission in the world. Mission was not made for the church. The church was made for mission, God's mission. So ultimately then, what is the mission? I think we could break it down fundamentally to two large categories. Number one, to see every man, woman, and child have repeated opportunities to respond to the message of Christ. Sorry, I flipped those, Tony. That's my fault. That's my fault. We bear the message of reconciliation to the world. Number two, to see all of Christ's people mobilized to live a faithful life of worship with the whole of their life. So the full empowerment of Christ's people and to see every man, woman, and child have repeated opportunities to say yes or no to Jesus. To then be enfolded back into a restored relationship with God so their life can now be lived according to the purpose for which it was originally designed anyway, to live for the glory of God with his people. Does that make sense? And it is all, it is all, it is all for the glory of God and the good of our community. We can't miss this. There is a predominant view in churches today that we go to the thing that meets my needs. We go to the program that I happen to like and the flavor that I like, and that is not what the fundamental motivator should be for why we are a part of God's people. We are to exist together with our eyes fixed on Jesus to live for his glory and to be spurred on to do that together and in our families, and we are to exist for the good of the world. Does that make sense? So I have a couple concluding questions. What are you giving your life to currently? Now, here's the deal. I'm not asking what your job is necessarily. This transcends all of that. But I mean, fundamentally, as you look in the mirror, as you process your life, what is everything you're doing aligned towards? That is one of the transcending convictions that affects how you parent, how you spend money, how you engage your neighbor, how you, how, how you spend time in what you read or what you don't read. 
how you use your possessions, how you raise your children, how you, how you go after your grades at school, how you engage in your marriage and how you engage in the world around you. What are you ultimately giving your life to currently? And I pray that you hear the appeal of this to make that decision of what you're giving your life to currently. Process these questions, please. I read these in a guy named David Devish in a book that I'm currently reading. I think these are three great questions that help us contemplate what the scriptures reveal to us. Number one, do you understand the amazing purposes of God being fulfilled right now in Jesus Christ? Do you understand the role of the church of Christ in God's great purposes on the earth? And do you understand your place in it all? Do business with those questions to answer this ultimate question. Does that make sense? We want to be a church with a ruthless commitment to all of this being lived out in the world, which means sometimes we're going to make decisions that don't often make sense sometimes. I was just at a church in Syracuse that sent out their 35 largest givers to go to a town 20 miles away because that's where they lived in that town so that they could plant a healthy church in that town. That didn't make sense necessarily for the church that sent them, but it made sense for the church of what God's doing in the world. Does that make sense? Because we do not want to be here for ourselves. We want to exist for the glory of God and the good of our community because we want to give our lives collectively to what God's doing in the world, how he's using his people in it, and what that means for all of us. Knowing this, and I'll conclude with this, nothing done in the name of the Lord Jesus is in vain. 1 Corinthians 15 says that. That is good news. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you in the name of your Son, and God, we are, we are thankful and we are blown away at what you have revealed to us through your word, that you are uniting all things in Christ, as Ephesians 1 says, that you are using the church that you've saved by grace to put on display the immeasurable riches of your kindness and that you, through the church, are declaring your manifold wisdom to the powers and principalities of darkness and in the heavens. You're putting it on display for them. Father, thank you for revealing all of this. Thank you for sending your Son. And so, Father, help us to be convinced of the gospel, of your mission in the world, and that your desire is to use all of your people in that work, and may what we're giving our lives to individually and collectively be aligned around that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.